Welcome to Big Sky Christian Fellowship. It's so nice to have all of you with us this fall afternoon. Um, I just wanted to get started by uh, pointing out that our movies and our books and our TV shows uh, are filled with some examples of some great female action heroes. You know, sometimes when we say we want to watch an action movie, we think of like Bruce Willis or Sylvester Stallone, uh, but there's some examples of some uh, really heroic female action heroes as well. For example, if we look up here, uh, what about Princess Leia? You know, in the first Star Wars movie, there's this great scene where she's this damsel in distress and she's in this space prison and this, uh, these two men come to rescue her and it just kind of seems like it's going to be like every other story. And then all of a sudden, Leah grabs the gun and starts shooting the bad guys and you realize that she's there to save them as much as they're there to save her. How about this next one? This is a little bit out of the box. But what about Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz? We think of that as kind of a happy children's story, but she's leading a team on a quest. She's showing great courage, and she kills the wicked witch of the West, right? She's absolutely a female action hero. How about this one? Uh, in all the Terminator movies, we got Sarah Connor. She is bad, and uh, she escapes from a psych ward. She's killing people with a shotgun. She even, in Terminator 2, she outlasts two Terminators. Like, she lasts longer in the movie than these futuristic killer robots. Sarah Connor is absolutely a great female action hero. How about this next one? When I was a kid, my two heroes were Bo and Luke Duke from the Dukes of Hazard. But if you really think about it, Bo and Luke got thrown in prison in almost every single episode, and Daisy had to come and rescue them from prison. Am I right? Like every episode, Daisy's saving her cousins, Bo and Luke. And uh, that transitions uh, to the story that we're going to talk about today. Today we get to uh, Judges 4 and 5. And we're talking about two female characters, uh, Deborah and uh, Jael. And uh, these two women characters are absolutely female action heroes. You might not know that the Bible has them. But not only does the Bible have them, uh, but our two characters today in the book of Judges, Deborah and Jael, they're, they're a lot more like Sarah Connor than they're like Dorothy, all right? You might think that all the stories in the Bible are uh, rated PG and everyone's holding hands and skipping down the yellow brick road, uh, but as we've been talking about the last two weeks, the book of Judges is, is probably rated R. It's filled with a lot of violence. It's filled with a lot of disturbing, unresolved stories. But as we look at those disturbing, violent, unresolved stories, uh, we find uh, that, that those stories are ultimately pointing us towards Jesus and the beautiful things that he's going to come and solve in the New Testament. So if you haven't already, please open up your Bibles to Judges chapters 4 and 5 as we study... Um, a story that, quite frankly, is never preached on. Every week after I make uh, the sermon outline, I try to find like sermons from other famous pastors that I then like to listen to or read through the manuscripts just to make sure that I'm not like way off base. Um, there's, there's, no store, there's no sermons on Deborah and Jael. Like the, today's story is uh, so violent and so out there that um, it's tough to find other sermons on them. But if you guys can just stick with me for the next seven or eight minutes, I promise that there's just some absolutely um, significant, relevant, real-world application for us from this story. 
Uh, so let's start off by just kind of setting the context and familiarizing everybody with um, these two chapters and then uh, see what it's really pointing towards Jesus, uh, uh, how, how it's doing that. All right, uh, in the first three verses of today's story, in Judges 4, 1 to 3, it's, uh, it's reminding us that the cycle of the judges is repeating over and over again through this book, okay? Uh, the cycle uh, is that Israel... Um, was promised that God would uh, keep them in the land and that they would thrive and that they would have their own nation. Uh, but they are unfaithful to God and they worship other gods. They worship idols. Uh, and then God, as a punishment, turns them over to the oppression of their neighbors. They cry out for deliverance. God sends a judge. God sends a chieftain. God sends somebody to uh, bring them to freedom. But the freedom is only temporary as they turn back to idols and other gods. So that's the cycle that we see over and over again uh, in the book of Judges. Uh, today's story starts off by saying, Against the Israel, uh, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold, sold them into the hands of uh, Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based uh, in Hashareth because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried out to the Lord for help. So we see uh, in all of the stories and judges, the same cycle repeats over and over again. As the story moves on to uh, verses 4 to 8, we see that there's this, uh, this, this hero, heroine, Deborah, and uh, she emerges and uh, she actually gathers up an army uh, all against these uh, foreign invaders. I'll probably butcher some of these names, but uh, in verses 4 to 8 it says, Deborah, a prophet, uh, was leading Israel at that time, and she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Yevon's army, with his chariots and his troops and give him into your hands. So that's kind of the outline of today's story. And there's even this really cool part in verse 8 where this military leader, Barak, says he'll only go into battle if Deborah is at his side. So it's this really fascinating action hero in the Old Testament. Well, uh, I also plan out, in addition to uh, the sermons for you guys, the lessons for the kids across the street. And um, the next part of this story, there's no children's videos for. There's no, there's no cartoons of the next part of this story. Let me read it to you, and I promise that this is redemptive, and there's a reason that it's in the Bible. So uh, Judges 4, 21 to 22 says this, uh, Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then Barak came in pursuit of the general, Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I'll show you the man you're looking for. So she went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple. He was dead. All right, so that leads us to the question, uh, why is this in the Bible? Right? Like, why is this man up in the front of the room talking about this awful, grisly story? Uh, I think there's a couple things uh, to point out. Uh, the first is that, uh, that we don't hear a lot of sermons about this story because it's, it's disturbingly violent. 
Not only did somebody have a stake driven through their temple, we're told that it even stuck into the ground. So it's, it's violent and there's horrifically violent details. I think another reason we don't hear a lot of sermons about this story is because um, the deliverance was, was temporary. It wasn't lasting. It seems like the story's unresolved. In chapter 5, there's this song that the Israelites wrote and sang to commemorate this victory. But even, there's sadness even in the song itself because in verses 7 and 8 of Judges 5, it has this lyric that says, The unwalled cities ceased till Deborah arose. But they chose new gods, and then there was war at the gates again. So even in retelling the the victory that Deborah brought the Israelites, there's this acknowledgement that it wasn't lasting, and that eventually Israel turned back to their idols again. Uh, And I think the final reason why we don't hear a lot of stories or sermons uh, about Judges uh, 4 and 5 is because we all know that violence doesn't end the cycle of violence. So even though there were these violent acts that led Deborah to and jail to free the Israelites, it says in uh, Judges 5.31 that the, the peace only lasted for 40 years. And then Judges chapter 6 starts off just with the cycle starting all over again, violence coming back into the land. So that's kind of uh, the details that we need to know before we start to apply and figure out what this is all about. And um, if we only had two pages of the Bible, if we only had Judges chapter 4 and 5, I think we would all have a really tough time figuring out what it is that we're supposed to learn from this ancient story. Um, But uh, the title of our sermon today, the title of this sermon series is How the Violent Archaic Book of Judges Points to the Beauty of Jesus. And what we've been talking about each week is that these violent, unresolved stories kind of leave us closing our Bibles and saying, huh, what's that all about? And there's a tension and there's a mess to it that's only ultimately solved and resolved in Jesus. And that's what the book of Judges is meant to make us do. Let me read a quick quote from Tim Keller. He has a a video series out where he explains how every book of the Bible points to Jesus. And in his video about the book of Judges, he says this, Judges is the beginning of a new storyline in the Bible where the cycle of disobedience and decline is so great that it's saying that unless there's some sort of divine intervention... There's no way that God's promises to his people are going to be fulfilled, and there's no way that Israel is going to be a light to the other nations. In other words, the book of Judges, like the humans, God's people, fail so greatly that we realize at that point that it's, it's just not, the covenant's not going to be kept by people, and that God is going to have to act in some new way for his promises to come true in our life. Um, Probably the most tragic event in the book of Judges comes in chapter 19. It's another another chapter of the Bible that has no cartoons or children's videos. Uh, And in Judges chapter 19, uh, absolutely the most uh, horrific chapter in the whole Bible, there's this husband who lets his innocent wife be abused and killed in order to inspire Israel to drive out the evil influences among it. Uh, And we kind of close our Bibles and we say, what in the world is that story all about? But we get this one tiny detail that the innocent woman uh, is from Bethlehem. And then the book of Judges ends by telling us that uh, in those days there was no king in Israel and everybody did as they see, as they saw fit. 
And probably for hundreds of years, people wondered what that was all about. And then the New Testament starts, and we get the good news that there is a new king, and he comes from Bethlehem. But unlike the husband who let his wife die an innocent death to drive the wickedness out of Israel, this new king, this new king from Bethlehem, he took on the violence. He was the innocent one who took on the violence so that the wickedness could be driven from God's people. Again, the book of Judges, in a very subtle way, is raising our expectation that God is going to do something different. God is going to do something new. And then that is resolved and answered in the New Testament. So we have this story. Uh, can we move ahead to the verse that uh, has uh, uh, from John? All right. So we have this story about this evil general who's killed with a temple through his head. It's horrible. And there's no other place in the Bible that really deals with anything of that sort until we get to John chapter 20, and there's another character who has a stake driven through his body. Do you guys see where I'm going with this? So John 20, 26 to 27 says, A week later his disciples were in the house, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Let me, uh, let me even start to wrap up here. So in Judges chapter 4, we have this character, Jael. And um, Israel has won the battle. Deborah has brought Israel to a victory. Uh, but uh, the commander, the evil general Sisera, he kind of stumbles away. He's wounded. He goes into this tent where he thinks he's going to find sanctuary. But this woman, Jael, she takes out this stake and she drives it through his head. And uh, that kind of wraps up that story. And then there's this victory song. And... Um, there's nothing really else in the Bible about stakes being driven through people until we get to the crucifixion, until we hear the story about Jesus, who again was innocent, had stakes driven through his hand as he was crucified for us on the cross. And so I think the Bible is uh, asking us a question. When you are wronged, when you are angry, when you are seeking for deliverance in a situation, where are you going to put the stake? Right? So if you guys look at this, this is probably approximately something like the stake that was driven through General Sisera's head in that Old Testament story. And this is probably approximately the size of the stake that was driven through Jesus' hands when he was crucified on the cross for us. And I just want to ask you guys the question, the next time you're angry, the next time you're wronged, the next time you want to solve a situation that you find yourself in, what are you going to do with the stake? Are you going to drive it through the head, hopefully metaphorically, of the person that you're angry with? Or are you going to think about how the gospel brings resolution to this issue? And Jesus absorbed the wickedness, absorbed the sin, took the stakes in his own hand, and forever gives us a model of how to experience a deliverance that lasts. Right, Because the deliverance that the Israels have in the story of Judges 4, it only lasts for 40 years. And then the, the people that they were violent against seek retribution to be violent against the Israelites again. And it's only in the crucifixion, it's only in the gospel that we find a solution to that cycle of unredemptive violence. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 23 to 24, speaks about how Jesus took on this violence to produce a better mindset, a better spiritual state for us. 
And it says this in 1 Peter 2, 23-24. When they hurled their insults at him, Jesus did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There's another verse in the New Testament in Colossians 1, 19-22 that, that talks about how Jesus has given us a new model for dealing with violence and wickedness and sin. And it says this in uh, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, 19-22. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace with his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Uh, in other words, Jesus Christ in his innocence took the punishment, took the stakes into his hand, into himself, forever liberating us from this cycle that we see in the Old Testament is never fruitful and never lasts. Uh, let, me, let me end with an um, illustration. In 1994, the African nation of Rwanda suffered an atrocious genocide. Within the span of 100 days, uh, the majority of upper-class Rwandans named Hutus killed almost 1 million lower-class Rwandans named the Tutsis. Years later, without the resources to imprison an entire generation of people, this is a true story, the government released 40,000 40, confessed killers. Can you imagine a country where 40,000 confessed killers were just released back into general life, back into the same villages that they came from, back among the people whose family members they had killed? So there's this 2009 documentary called As We Forgive, and it tells a little bit more about the aftermath of this tragedy. And it follows in particular two women, one named Rosaria and one named Chattel, and their journey to forgive the men who killed their family members. It's really powerful, it's really dynamic, it's really hard to watch. There's one scene where one of the women actually faces for the first time the uh, killer of her family, and you watch the conversation that takes place. It's just gut-wrenching. One of those two women explains to the camera how she found the means to forgive the killers, and she says this, I came to a point where I realized that it was not my job to forgive. I did not create the life that was taken. God did. I myself am a sinner just like those that seek forgiveness from me. So when I give my heart to God, I realize that he alone can forgive the things that have been done, and he thus compels me to forgive others as he has forgiven me. Very powerful, very moving. Uh, and it's fascinating how the rest of the documentary kind of points out that um, courtrooms can bring justice, but only the church can compel people to forgive. 
because it's only the gospel that gives us the, the, the method, the means, and the power to bring about the forgiveness that we see uh, here in what Christ has done for us. So I just kind of want to wrap up with a quick question. Today's sermon is not very long. There's not a lot of other sermons about it, so uh, I think you should be impressed that I went 10 minutes, all right? All right, the question is this. The next time you're angry, the next time there's somebody in your life that you could either attack or seek retribution or revenge or seek forgiveness, I want us to think of today's two stories, the story of Judges 4, but also the story of the crucifixion. Also the story where Jesus shows his hands to his disciples and shows exactly where the stakes were driven through his hands. And in that we have two heroes, right? Deborah and Jael are heroes. They brought deliverance for their people. But it was at the cost of violence and it didn't last. And when we seek revenge, when we seek to, uh, when we seek to defame or gossip somebody who's wronged us, we might experience temporary liberation. We might experience temporary release. But it comes at uh, the cost of acrimony. It comes at some level of violence. And today's story tells us it's not going to last. But the other hero in today's story, as we look at the scope of the entire Bible, is Jesus. He shows us the other thing that we can do with the stake. We can absorb the violence. We can absorb the sin. We can absorb uh, the acrimony. Uh, and through the gospel, we can have the power to forgive, and we can bring a freedom that lasts. So I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward, we'll wrap up our service today, and I'll just uh, ask a couple quick questions. If the two heroic women in that documentary, As We Forgive, those two beautiful Rwandan women, uh, if they can forgive murderers, can you forgive a little bit of disrespect? If Rwanda can come together after an atrocious genocide and rebuild and find reconciliation, can you come together with a neighbor or a family member who has different political views than you do? If God can forgive Israel for violating the covenant in Judges over and over and over, can you love or forgive a spouse or a child who's disobeyed you? Right? And we could just go on and on again. The question that I want to leave you with today is the next time somebody wrongs you, what are you going to do with the stake? Whose example are you going to follow? And let's think about how Jesus has given us a solution that lasts as we finish with these final songs.